Today's scripture is from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heaven. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your fault to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hand. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joshua. I'd like to invite Robin John to come up. Uh, Robin is a local businessman in Boston, and uh, he is going to be speaking with us this morning about the role of faith in work as it's Labor Day weekend. Uh, Todd, our teaching elder, is out of town this weekend at a memorial service for uh, his wife's husband, his wife's uh, father who passed away. And so I'd like to say a prayer for them uh, before Robin comes up. And, um, and then Robin, you can come forward. Let's pray. Father, we lift up to you, Todd and Elisa, who can't be with us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort to Elisa's heart at the passing of her father. And Lord, I pray that through the memorial service, that there would be comfort through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give them a good time together as a family, as they recognize this loss, as they share memories, and that they encourage and support one another. We just pray for them as they travel back and bring them back safely. Lord, we pray that you'd be with us as we hear from your word this morning from Robin. Lord, thank you for his opportunity to come and share just the passion that you've put on his heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So Robin, come forward. Thank you for sharing God's word with us today. And with that, I'll dismiss our kids to go downstairs for Children's Church. Praise God. Thank you, Joshua, for reading the scriptures from Psalm 8. Pastor Todd asked me to speak about the integration of faith and work. It is Labor Day, so it's a good weekend to be uh, going through this topic together. Uh, many years ago, I was at another church, and uh, I, I was approached by a pastor in the church. It was a visiting pastor, and the pastor said to me, son, what are you doing for God? And so I had just recently gone on a mission trip to Tanzania. I was teaching Sunday school at the church. I could have talked about any of that, and the pastor probably would have patted me in the back and said, good job, well done. But I decided to talk about the work that I do Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday sometimes and uh, how I believe this work is really meaningful to the kingdom of God. And this pastor interrupted me and said, no, I said, what are you doing for God? 
So I think a lot of us Christians struggle with this question. What are we doing for God? And we pray that God would call us into ministry. We, we pray that God would call us to be a pastor or a missionary somewhere. Uh, many of us, we just think work is just work. We have to do it. We pray for an early retirement so we could stop doing this thing. And so maybe we could go into full-time ministry sometime later in life. Uh, we, uh, sometimes we just pray for early retirement because we hate work. We don't want to be working. But the, but the Bible has a lot to say about work. And I don't know if you guys know, but this idea of retirement is never even found in the Bible. So today, I want to encourage all of us in our work and remind us that work is given to us by God and it is a blessing to us. It is not a punishment, as many Christians think. It is a blessing to us given by God. I have five points that I want to make. Not, not ten, five. <laughs> five points that I want to make today. And so I'll go through each of them together. Point number one. God has given us dominion over the work of his hands. We are participating in God's work. God has given us dominion over the work of his hands. We are participating in God's work. King David understood this. We read from Psalm 8. This was a psalm by King David. David writes, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, than the angels, than the heavenly courts, some translations say, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That was verses 4, 5, 6, and 9. I skipped through a few verses. You see, David, if he was saying this about himself, all of us would say, yeah, that makes sense. God has crowned David to be king of Israel and given him dominion over a country. That makes sense. David would say that about himself. But that's not what David says in the psalm. David says, God, you have crowned mankind crowned kingship, mankind, with glory and honor. And you have given him dominion over the work of your hands. Most of us, we don't think this way. We just don't, like this is not our framework for thinking about ourselves. That God has crowned us with glory and honor. We are kings. God has given us, and queens, God has given us dominion over the work of his hands. And God has put all things under our feet. And even as, as I say this, it may not register. You may say, okay, that's just David in one psalm. Okay, show me more from the Bible. And that's what I hope to do today. We're going to see a picture of 
King David by Michelangelo. A couple of months ago, my family and I went to Italy. I was able to see such, such beautiful paintings and statues and everything, just such art that has come out of Italy. All the famous Ninja Turtles have come out of Italy, I believe, right? <laughs> Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, Raphael. And my favorite was in Florence. We went and saw this huge statue of David in Florence. And, and you know, I'm like this big compared to the statue. I'm standing there just staring at it and just in awe of this guy, Michelangelo, who could build such a beautiful statue of what he envisions David to look like. I was th thinking recently, imagine if Michelangelo gave me the dominion over the work of his hand. Imagine if Michelangelo had said, okay, I'm starting the statue. I'm going to start working on it. Now, Robin, you have the dominion over the work of my hands. You go and complete what I started. What will that look like? Now, I am not even nearly capable of even the back of his hair, okay? Just, but there are people in this world who are gifted by God, uniquely gifted to make things like that. And we see in the scripture that God has given mankind collectively dominion over the work of his hands, which is incredible. We don't even want dominion over Michelangelo's hands, the work of his hands. But God has given us dominion over the work of his hands, the creator of Michelangelo. And God has uniquely gifted each of us to do his work on the earth. So whether you are working as a doctor, I, I, know, I know David Yee is an eye surgeon. We are God's hands. We are doing God's work. You could be a nurse. You could be a nurse's aide, working with the elderly in a nursing home. My mom used to do that for many years. My dad was working two jobs when we came to the U.S. One of the jobs was to bag groceries at Purity Supreme in Somerville. It doesn't matter what the job is. When we do this for God, when we do it to love others, we are taking dominion over the work of God's hands. You may be a civil engineer. You may be a finance investment manager allocating billions of dollars or just a few hundred dollars. We are having dominion over the work of God's hands. You may be a full-time mother, full-time father at home. You have dominion over the work of God's hands and the work that you do. This is a huge responsibility. It's a high calling that we see in the Bible. David would have understood when he was writing Psalm 8, this, this high calling that he has, that all mankind has, to steward God's creation, to have dominion from Genesis 1 and 2. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 27, 28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish, of, fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move 
along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We see here verses that we often kind of we talk about, especially in the culture war that we live in today. We could be talking about pro-life. We point back to the scripture. We were made in God's image. It could be this recent conversation about male versus female, gender conversations. We go back to this passage. God made them male and female in his image. All of that is true. Yet, what is this passage actually saying? Why did God make us in his image? It says, God made us in his image, in his likeness, so that they may rule. God made us in his image so that we can have dominion over the work of God's hands. If we are made in God's image, then God could trust us to continue what he started in creation. So we are to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and all of that. But what does ruling look like? Sometimes when people read these passages, they think that means that when we, to have dominion, to, to subdue the earth, to rule over the earth, means that we could do whatever we want. It means that we could exploit the earth, we could harm people, we could do whatever we like. That is not what it means if we are made in God's image and then we are ruling in God's image. So to remind you, point one, God has given us dominion over the work of his hands. We are participating in God's work. Point number two, since we have been given dominion over God's work, we need to reflect God in our work. God is good. God's work is good. Since we have been given dominion over God's work, we need to reflect God in our work. God is good. God's work is good. You see, any organization, Steve mentioned that I was a co-founder in a company. In any organization, the founders, the leaders are always asking, who can we trust to steward this organization? The founders of this church would have been asking this question. Who can we trust to carry forth what we started here in Winchester? Often, when we're asking that question, we want to entrust leadership and authority to people that have the same purpose, values, identity as the founders. So when we are given stewardship over creation, God gave us stewardship to be like him on the earth, to do what he would do on the earth, to be his hands and his feet on the earth. God is good and his works are good. That means our work needs to be good. I could imagine when God was creating the earth, 
He would have been like a potter making clay. He might have been like a carpenter with his machinery working out some tables. I can imagine God um, as an architect, as, a, as an engineer, building the world. I moved into Winchester a few years ago, and I have a beautiful backyard. But when I first bought the house, I'm wondering, why is the grass always brown? I can't get it to stay green. And I was watering the grass, and the grass just, no matter how much I watered it, it stayed brown. It doesn't turn green. Then I did some research into this, and I found out that it's all about the pH level. The dirt in this area have high acidity, which means low pH. So we need to add lime to the dirt so that the grass could flourish to lower the pH levels. But guess what? My shrubs, my plants, my acelias, my rhododendrons, my pine trees, they need the high acidity dirt, right? So you don't want to add lime where your shrubs are. You want to add the lime where your grass is. I can imagine God as this master chemist in creation, creating the dirt perfectly for all the different millions of species of trees and grasses that he, that he created. And as he creates, what does he say? He says, it is good. After the first day, he looks at his creation and he says, good. And the second day, he takes, he takes a step back and he looks at his creation and he says, good. And he does this six times. And on the sixth day, we know that God creates humanity in his image. And he says, very good. So God creates things that God calls good. If we have been given dominion over God's, the work of God's hands, should we not also be creating things that God could call good? What are some of the ways that we could reflect goodness in our work? Maybe you're making products. Are these products good for customers? Maybe you're baking bread. Maybe you're a baker at a local store. Is the bread you're making good for the children to eat? Is it healthy? Maybe you're a financial advisor. Is the financial advisor advice that you give, is it good advice? Is it biblically grounded advice? Or are we catering to greed and self-interest? Maybe you are managing a team at your place of work. How are you treating your employees? Is your management practices something that God could call good? And God has a lot to say about how we treat our employees. Let me just go through three different chapters in the Bible. James chapter 5, verses 4 to 5 says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Almighty God. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the, day, in the day of slaughter. Isaiah 53, 58 verse 3 says, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? They're, they're speaking to God. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Now God is saying, 
Yet on the day of fasting, you do, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. So God doesn't care about our fasting if we exploit our employees. Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, God is saying, I will put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against the sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and against those who defraud laborers of their wages, which is crazy. He's putting those of us who may be defrauding our employees of wages next to the sorcerers, the adulterers, and the perjurers. You know, in Leviticus chapter 9, speaks to business people. God is saying to the business people in Israel, to the vineyard owners, to the farmers, how they should treat their hired servants, their employees, how they should treat the, the poor in the community if they're running a, a vineyard or a farm. It goes on to say, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So point number three that I want to make. So point number two was that our work should be good work. It should reflect a good God. Point number three that I want to make is that God wants to partner with us in his great work in the world. God wants to partner with us in his great work in the world. Let me read to you a passage that we often overlook. We read the Genesis account and we often just don't even notice this verse is there. Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. It makes sense. If it doesn't rain, the shrubs don't come. The plants don't come. That makes sense. But it also says, because God had not yet created humanity, the plants haven't come. That doesn't make any sense to me. I go biking through the fells all the time. And there are plants and shrubs all over the place. I know no hum human being planted those shrubs or those, or those plants. God planted them. They're there and they're growing when it rains. Why does the Bible say that there was no plant and no shrub because God had not yet created humans? The only answer I could come up with is that God is showing us here that he wanted to wait for us. He wanted to show us that he wants to partner with us in caring for the world, in creating the plants and the shrubs. He wants us there to help take care of the earth and the plants and the shrubs. So he waits for us to plant the plants and the shrubs. This is why the, the reformer Martin Luther said that when the child is crying for milk, God uses the milkmaid to bring the milk to the child. So Martin Luther said that uh, the milkmaid is that God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. It's exactly what Martin Luther said. God is milking the cow through the milkmaid in order to feed that hungry baby who needs the milk. God, Martin Luther referred to our work 
as humans as the masks of God, that we are God's hands and feet on the earth. So for the child who might be crying for the bread, God could cause manna to fall from heaven, and God has done that, but God, God chooses not to do that. God chooses to partner with humans, with mankind, to bring the bread to the child who needs the bread. God uses the farmer. God uses the people that made the machinery, the tractors, the tillers, the excavators. God uses the truck drivers. God uses the storekeepers. God uses the, the baker, the milkmaid, all of that to make that bread that the child needs. Let's look at Psalm 104, what the psalmist says about this. I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, verse 13, He makes the waters, He waters the mountains from the upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of His work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate. So again, He makes plants for people to cultivate. God expects people to cultivate the plants that He has created. And then these plants could bring forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the human heart. Oil that makes the faces shine. And bread that sustains their hearts. You see, oil doesn't just drip out of a coconut or, or an olive. Wine doesn't just drip out of a grape. And bread doesn't just sprout out of a grain. God uses human works, human capacity to bring about what the world needs from his creation. We are partnering with God in God's work to care for the world, to provide for the world. And the psalmist goes on to say, then people go out to their work, to their labor until evening. How many are your works, Lord, in wisdom you made it all. It's an incredible thought that God uses us to care for the world, to provide for the world. Point number four. Our work is a blessing from God and not a curse. It was given to us in a perfect paradise before the fall ever took place. Work was given to us as a blessing in a perfect paradise before the fall ever took place. This is something that most Christians don't understand. A lot of Christians I talk to seem to think that work is a punishment. It happens as a result of the fall. But no, all the, child, the, the, the what, I, what I have said so far are Genesis 1 and 2 before the fall happens. In all the major worldviews, work is actually a curse except in Christianity, in Judeo-Christianity. In Buddhism, people are trying to escape work to go into a state of nirvana. In Hinduism, people are trying to escape work and go into a state of moksha. In fact, if you study the caste system in India, you have different levels in the caste system. The lowest level is the untouchables. Those are the people that do the work that nobody else wants to do. Look at the untouchables. The work of the untouchables 
is God-honoring. God cares for the work of the untouchables. They have dominion over God's hands, whether they're cleaning trash or cleaning cow manure. They are given dominion over the work of God's hands, is what the Bible teaches us. And so the highest level in the caste system is the Brahmin. And the Brahmins are priestly. They don't work. They remain in a state of contemplation or meditation. And ultimately, the, 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 the system, the goal is to escape this cycle of work, of the caste system, and go into moksha. In olden days, the Greeks had a similar view when it came to work. Aristotle once said that unemployment was the primary qualification for a genuinely worthwhile life. Okay, unemployment, okay, this is, his, he said this, Google it, was the primary qualification for a genuinely worthwhile life. Because the Greeks believed that being in a state of contemplation was unity with God. Work meant you were not in unity with God, was their view. And if you study the, the, the Greek mythology, you, you, this, you see this over and over. The gods did not work, ever. Our God in the Bible is a working God. He works. He gets his hands dirty. Even Jesus came as a carpenter, the son of a carpenter. You see, throughout church history, whenever we have a countercultural view of something, the pressure is always to become more like the world. And that's what's happening when it comes to the story that God has given of work. The temptation, the pressure is always to keep going back to how the world thinks about this. In the 14 and 1500s, Martin Luther, when he was alive, the reformer, he wrote an essay. In it, he said, it is pure invention that the Pope the bishops, the priests, and the monks are to be called the spiritual estate. Princes, lords, artisans, and farmers, the temporal estate. That is indeed a fine bit of lying and hypocrisy. And he goes on to say that all Christians are of the spiritual estate. All Christians are of the spiritual estate. Paul tells us that we are the royal priesthood, a holy nation, there's no differences amongst us except the offices in which we serve for God. Let's jump back into Genesis chapter um, 3 this time. This is where the fall happens. This is the chapter that people point to and say work is a curse. Work is a punishment. I wanted to read a few things from this chapter, from Genesis chapter 3. So to the woman, he said, this is because of their sin and disobedience. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful la labor, you will give birth. And to the man, he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful labor, you will eat from it all the days of your life. People point to this and say, Look, work is now a curse, it's a punishment. But if you say that, you have to say that, say that babies are also a curse. You have to say that children are a curse, that children are a punishment. 
But the Bible never says that. Psalm 127 says that children are a blessing from the Lord. The delivery of children has become laborsome. It says painful labor, delivering the child. Delivering our work has become laborsome, painful. There's burnout for many employees across this country. The delivery of work has become painful labor, just as the delivery of babies have become painful labor. Yet, work itself and the result, the output of work, is still good in the Bible. God cares about our work, and we are promoting the common good. We are promoting human flourishing in our work. Let me jump to point number five, final point. Our work should exalt our Creator and not ourselves. Our work should exalt our Creator and not ourselves. When it comes to work, I always see two extremes. On one extreme, work is bad. I hate work. I want to retire. On the other hand, I see people just being so addicted to their work. And they want to make a name for themselves. They want to move up the corporate ladder. They want to make a lot of money. They want control and authority and leadership. In Genesis 11, we see and, and the account where work seems to go bad for the first time in the Bible. It seems to go off what God had intended it to be. At the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. Sounds a little bit like God in Genesis 1. Come, let us create. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. We were created in God's image, in God's likeness, so that we could make a name for God through our work. We are to be image bearers of God across the earth. Yet these people are saying so that we may make a name for ourselves. And they also say, otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That's exactly what God actually wanted, was them to be scattered across the whole earth. When we read um, the, the commandment in Genesis, God says, fill the earth. And these people say, no, we don't want to be scattered across the earth. Let's stay together. Let's build vertically up and let's make a name for ourselves. Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men, so that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The world should see our good works, our good work, and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. If Christians are involved in work that is not good, we have lost our witness and our right to even share about Jesus to our co-workers. Our work must be good so that the world will look at our work and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. 
In Genesis 1.28, coming back to the verse again, God said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. This passage by Christians is often referred to as the cultural mandate by God. But I've heard Christians kind of say, okay, there's a cultural mandate and then there's a great commission. So the cultural mandate is about working and expanding. Um, kind of, by the way, culture comes from the same Latin word as cultivate. So you could call it the cultivation mandate. So some people will say, yeah, God gave that mandate in Genesis. And then God gives us the, the great commission in Matthew. I actually think all of it is actually very much united and together. The, the mandate in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. I don't think it's just about cultivating the earth. I think it was about making image bearers and promoting God's image across his creation. That is why God made us in his image. Then God tells us to fill the earth, both in our work, in our cultivation, but also in our share in the gospel. We are to fill the earth and make God's image kind of power, like just go across the earth. Make image bearers and portray God's image in our work. So I'm going to wrap up and I'm going to read a final verse from Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 and sit down. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to, the, to God, the Father, through him. So just to recap, point number one, God has given us dominion over the work of his hands. We are participating in God's work. Point number two, since we have been given dominion over God's work, we need to reflect God in our work. God is good, his work is good. Point number three, God wants to partner with us in his great work in the world. Point number four. Our work is a blessing from God, not a curse. It was given to us in a perfect paradise before the fall, a curse. And point number five. Our work should exalt our creator and not ourselves. Thank you.